Hello and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. One of the most significant phrases found in the Bible is in Christ. As Jesus followers, we have been set free. Listen today as Pastor Tim continues in the series titled, Who Am I? We hope that this talk encourages and inspires you as you grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning. Uh, The entire universe is governed by laws or rules. For example, there's the law of gravity. Uh, There are laws of physics. There are laws that relate to math and music. And these are rules that we live by and we have to reckon with. If a person wants to fly, for example, you've got to consider the law of gravity. You've got to recognize how that law works, and you have to cooperate with it. Of course, counties and countries and cities and states, they also have their own laws, and we're expected to live under these laws, these rules. And if you don't do it, oftentimes there'll be consequences. Even if you're not familiar with the law, if you break it, you know, ignorance is not an excuse. We're all under the law. I remember the first time that I was uh, pulled over while driving by a police officer. I was 16 at the time, young, and thankfully that hasn't happened much over the years. But I was working for a manufacturing company in the Chicago area called Tricon Industries, and I worked in their shipping department. My twin brother worked there as well. Uh, Both of us worked during the summer months, then we go to school. And I was driving one day because they were sending me to deliver a package to some other company, and I had the company car, and I took off and went to deliver the package. But at a certain point, I came to this very busy intersection. You know, this is the Chicago area, and the road that I was looking at, it looked like it had, if I remember correctly, eight lanes, four going each direction, and I was supposed to be turning left at that intersection. Now, the light was red, and I was... A little nervous about it, like, how am I going to navigate that left-hand turn? I just, just a little bit nervous. And then all of a sudden, I saw a sign. And the sign said something to the effect, straight ahead only. And I literally thought, I don't want to go straight. Because if I go straight, I'm going to get lost or something. You know, I didn't want to go straight. And then a thought occurred to me that maybe that sign wasn't intended for me. I bet you that sign is for the person in the right-hand lane. It's telling them they can't turn right on red, straight ahead only. So the sign is for them, not for me. And so the light turned green, and, and what did I do? Well, I went out there, and I realized, you know, it's easy to turn left here. There are no cars coming the other direction, and so I turned left. And immediately I saw those, those flashing lights. And immediately I knew without a shadow of a doubt, the significance of that sign. At that point, I knew I'd I'd blown it. I'd broken the law. And I see this officer behind me. I pulled off on a side street. He pulled up behind me. He got out and grabbed my license and checked it. And then he came back to me and he said, "Um, you're going to have to follow me to the police station. Now, he had asked me, you know, did you see the sign? And I, I said, yeah, I saw the sign, but I thought it was for the people turning right, you know. I'm sure he was thinking, oh, I got a winner here, you know. But I was only 16, you know, and um, I hadn't been driving that long. And, but he said, you have to follow me to the police station, which I've never heard of that before. But I jumped in the car, and he still had my license, so I drove to the police station. I find myself in this processing room with other criminals, And um, 
He went off into some room, and then he came back a few minutes later, and he had with him a pad for writing tickets. And I saw he still had my license there, and he began to fill it out. But then he did something that surprised me. He just stopped, and he said, "I'm not going to give you a ticket today." He said, "I'm not even going to give you a warning ticket. I'm just going to let you go, but try to be more careful in the future." Now I don't know if he thought I was petrified. I don't know if he just had mercy on me. But I had broken the law. I was guilty. I deserved a certain penalty. But another law, in a sense, if we can call it a law, came in, and that is mercy. In the New Testament, we read mercy triumphs over judgment. And this other thing came in that kind of changed the dynamic. Now today we're continuing our series titled "Who Am I?" Uh, it's it's a series based on a phrase that appears in the New Testament. Between 150 and 200 times in different forms, and the phrase is "in Christ." And there are certain things that are true about us if we are in Christ. If we have put our trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a relationship with Him, if we're connected with Him, now we are in Christ, and things are true about us. The most profound one, maybe, is what Paul said: "If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone; the new has come. Everything is brand new for the Christian." And so we've been talking about, you know, what it means to be in Christ. The first week of the series, I said, in Christ we are forgiven. We are God's forgiven ones, based on our association with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the debt in full that we deserved, so that forgiveness could be extended to us as a as a free gift. And we really are forgiven if you're in Christ. Second week of the series, last week I made the point: in Christ we are victorious. And specifically, I talked about the fact that we don't have to give in to sin or temptation anymore. That when Jesus rose from the dead, He defeated sin and its consequence, death. And this is why He's able to give you eternal life because He defeated death, but He had also defeated sin. I talked about last week. And so, when you're tempted, you can look at that temptation. Its power of you has been broken. And you can look at it squarely and say, "I am not going to listen to you. I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do." We have a new power, a new authority, a new victory over temptation and sin in our lives. Today, my takeaway is that is this: in Christ, we have been set free. There's freedom in Christ. Jesus said these words in John eight thirty six. He said, "Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free." But the question is, free of what? Free from what? And part of the answer is、um, the things I've already talked about. We we are free from the penalty of sin. That was week one, and we're free from the power of sin in our lives. That's week two. Eventually, we're going to be free from the very presence of sin. Can't wait for that day when sin is just gone completely. Of course, we sang a moment ago about being free from fear. But today I want to talk about being free from the entire system that believers in the Old Testament had to live under. What's called the Old Testament law, a law that was given to Moses by God for the people of Israel. It included 613 rules, and we do not have to live by those rules. We are under a different system, a different law. And this law, this system, is it's freeing. 
It's a system whereby the Spirit of God comes to live within his people and begins to direct us from the inside out. It's a system whereby the, the laws that, and requirements of God are not written on tablets like the Ten Commandments, but it's written on, on our hearts. And it changes everything. It leads to freedom. This new system is a system that leads to freedom. Now, some of the qualities I mentioned last week related to this system, if, if the Spirit of God is in you, is are qualities like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what this law produces. And we're going to read about this, that the Holy Spirit, in fact, the phrase that we're going to read about in a minute is the Spirit's law of life, that the law of the Spirit leads to life and it leads to freedom. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, we read, Now the Lord is Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now again, specifically, I want to talk about the fact we're free from the Old Testament law. Have you ever wondered before why it is that we don't sacrifice animals? Or at least I hope you don't. But we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Do you understand why we, don't ha- why we are allowed to eat things like ham and, and especially bacon and lobster and shellfish? Things that were forbidden in the Old Testament law for the believers back then. I'm glad we didn't live back then. In the Old Testament, if you're a guy, you weren't allowed to to, uh, cut the corners of your beard. So this would be illegal in the Old Testament law, what I'm wearing here. In the Old Testament, they had various um, feasts or obligations, gatherings, where you had to come together, like the, the Feast of Passover or whatever, and and, and you're, we are now even free to celebrate some of those feasts, but we're not under that anymore because the Holy Spirit now lives within us and God's laws, again, are written on our hearts. And Jeremiah the prophet prophesied this in Jeremiah 31, 33. He's got, he, quoting God, he said, I will put my teaching or my law, some versions translated, I will put my law, my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. And suddenly we have this system whereby we're going through our lives and God's spirit is leading us every step of the way without the, all those other things. Now our passage today is Romans chapter 8 and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. As I'm reading the verses, I want you to notice how often the word law is mentioned because there are different laws that are mentioned here. Beginning in verse 1 of Romans 8, therefore no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. I'll talk about this in a minute, but if you are a a Christian, a true Christian through faith in Jesus Christ, you will not be condemned for your sins, any of them. And there's a reason why. I'll explain in a minute. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our phrase. And that's the key. You've got to be in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, because the Spirit's law of life, or the life-giving law of the Spirit, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And as we'll see in a minute, what he's saying is the Old Testament law led to sin, which led to death. But there's a new system now, a new law. Verse 3, for what the law, the Old Testament law, could not do since it was limited or weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain and as a sin offering. 
in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there's this Old Testament law requirement. He's saying that this new system allows you to fulfill the things that are good and right and, and pleasing to God. Now, Jesus is the one who made it possible for this to happen because he came under that old system. And when he rose again from the dead and went up to heaven, he instituted a new system. Now, the starting point in being in this new system is verse 1 of Romans 8, which we just read. So let me read that verse again. It says, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Um, some of you know the, this statement or whatever, that if you see therefore in the Bible, you need to ask what it's there for. Because it's always connecting to something else. And so this, this chapter starts at 8. But the point that Paul is making here is because of the truths that are found in Romans 7, there is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ now because we have been rescued. The bottom line is that Jesus was condemned in our place and for our sin. Now, what is condemnation? Well, it means to be found guilty and then often it means to be punished. You can be condemned in a court, and then you can be a condemned person. <laughs> and both are true because of sin. The Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology explains condemnation this way. When it is discovered that a crime has been committed, that the law has been broken, the process of investigation may lead to formal charges being levied against a defendant. The process of litigation leads to the outcome, a verdict of acquittal or guilt. The verdict indicates that the defendant is either free from or accountable to the law's penalty for that crime. Thus, the result is either vindication, you get vindicated, or it's condemnation. Now, every person who has ever been born is condemned because of sin. And the entire Old Testament law condemns us, but so do all the other laws found in the pages of the Bible were condemned. When I took that left-hand turn, I was guilty, I had broken the law, and I was under condemnation. But then something else came in that made all the difference in the world. In this case, it was the kindness of an officer. But what happens with us? Why is it that there's no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus? Well, it's because God in his justice cannot condemn both you and Jesus. If Jesus took the condemnation for you, it would be unjust of God to condemn you for the same things he already charged against his son Jesus. There's a legal term for this, and someone, if you're a lawyer, you can correct me if I have this wrong, but... There's a law called a double indemnity. Double indemnity is a law that basically says you cannot charge a person twice for the same crime. So if someone is in prison for four months, you know, and they're serving their time, they were condemned and they're serving their time, when they get out, the, the law is not allowed to go after you again for the exact same crime you committed. They can go after you for something else, but not that crime. It wouldn't be just. You paid it. This is what Jesus did for us. He took upon himself the condemnation. The justice of the law required that somebody pay the price. 
The laws were broken, and we all break them. You've broken them, I've broken them. We've broken God's laws. And the law indicates that, the, the, well, justice has to be served. Condemnation has to come down. But what if someone else would take it for us? And that's why Paul begins this way. He says, there's no condemnation for you who are in Christ because of what's true in the previous chapter. It goes on earlier in the chapter, chapter 7, to say you've been rescued by Jesus. He rescued us. And this is why Jesus said in John 5, 24, he said, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. If you've never put your trust in Christ, this would be the starting point for you to recognize that your sins can be forgiven, but it requires you to put your trust firmly in Jesus Christ who died in your place for your sin. God was de- or Jesus was declared guilty for you so that you could be declared not guilty. Now, Romans 7, which comes right before this Romans 6, makes this argument about the Old Testament law, kind of getting back to the subject of the law. It makes the point that the law was, was a good thing, and it was good especially for exposing sin. The problem with the Old Testament law, with all its rules, is that it was not good about fixing the problem of our sinfulness. There's nothing about the Old Testament law that could make us right in God's eyes. That's why a new system was needed. All the Old Testament law did was indict us. In Romans 7, 7, for example, Paul wrote, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. God's laws in the Old and New Testament throughout, God's laws are wonderful. They reveal what our God is like, and I love the way our God is. I love his holiness and his justice and that he doesn't lie and and he won't wrong us. And all these qualities that are just good and wonderful are true about God. And, and God has given us his law. But the moment the law was presented before the people of Israel, they became condemned people. It served to indict them. When I was driving, if there had not been a sign that said no, or go straight only, if that sign had not been there, no laws would have been broken and I would not have been a lawbreaker. It was only in the presence of that law, suddenly the law is in place, and suddenly I'm condemned as a a lawbreaker. That's what's happened to every one of us when it comes to God's laws. And so the problem with the Old Testament law is that it only served to indict us. But there was another problem with the Old Testament law that Paul talks about in Romans 7. Read it for yourself. He says the Old Testament law actually made people more sinful. I mean, not exactly made them, but it, it pushed people that direction. How? Well, I mentioned last week that we have a sin nature. All of us do. Descendants of Adam have a sin nature. A sin nature is an inclination to sin. It's a rebelliousness. You find it even when children are two and three years old. They, they, you know, they, you just see. You see. You never teach your kids to lie. They just do it naturally. And other things. Well. The argument that the Apostle Paul makes is not just that that sin tends to indict us, but when the sin nature is brought next to that new law, it leads to us wanting to rebel. It actually makes us want to sin more. And and I think we kind of know this is true. When you're told you can't do something, it's about the only thing you want to do. 
You know, a child, you told, tell a child you're not allowed to eat that cookie, well, I'll tell you, they'll be thinking about that cookie, and one will disappear, I suspect. Because you said don't do it, suddenly you want to. It reminds me of that dieting book. I don't know if it was called I Kiss Dieting Goodbye or, or the No Diet Diet Book or something like that, but the premise of the book, I didn't read it, but the premise of the book was something to the effect, don't diet. Because the moment you say, I'm not going to eat this and this and this and this, suddenly that's all you want to do. And if you've dieted before, you know that when you say, I can't have this, I can't have that, that's the only thing you want. And Paul makes this argument. That's what happened when the law came in. Suddenly it kind of ignited something within everyone to become more rebellious and to sin all the more. And suddenly you're told, don't envy, but I want to envy. And I want to do these things. Now, Paul anticipated that there would be some people out there that would say this. Well, if the law resulted in people becoming more sinful, then the law itself must be sinful. And he said, no, no. No, the law, the law is a good thing. It's, it is important we understand what is good and right and, and the life-giving way to live. It's important we understand these things. But as a system by which we get right with God as a system of living our lives in a way that's pleasing to God, it it didn't work. All it did was it served to indict us, and all it did was make our sin nature more excited. It exposed us as wretched lawbreakers. But we have been set free from that law. There's no condemnation now because we're under a different kind of law, what's called the law of the Spirit. And so in Romans 7, 6, Paul made this point. He said, now we have been released from the law, that Old Testament law, since we have died to what held us, I'll explain that in a second, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old letter of the law. We've been released, we died to what held us so that we might serve in a new way, the way of the Spirit, the old letter, and and not the old letter of the law. Now, last week I made the point that we've died to sin. It's why you have power over sin, because we've died to it. And if a person's dead, they're not subject to temptation. If a person's dead, they're not subject to anything in the world. So Paul says we need to consider ourselves to be dead to sin. And so sin comes along, temptation comes along, we say, I'm dead to you. But in Romans 7, he says we're dead to something else. We are are dead to this sin or this law. We're dead to it. Now think about that for a moment. If a person's dead, do they have to obey any laws? You know, if you're dead, can can they make you pay taxes? Can they make you do this or that? No, no, you're not under the law anymore because you died. This is Paul's argument. We have died to the law but we're alive to a different kind of law, the law of the Spirit. It's a law that leads to freedom. Now, you might think, well, I don't, I don't like any kind of law. Or you might ask, how could the, this law of the Spirit be a law of freedom? Well, laws enable freedom. Laws enable pleasant life to exist. Let me give you some examples here. Some of you maybe have heard the story about a a school in an inner city that had a playground that was surrounded by one of these chain-link fences, and it was a very tall fence. 
And、um, it was for, obviously for the protection of the children. And so the fence was on three sides. The building blocked it in. And during recess, all the kids went out and played. Some well-meaning politicians looked at that and said, "You know, they're just so confined in there, and and, and they even look like criminals." Let's remove the fence. Let's make this a more inviting playground. And so that's what they did. They removed the fence, and you know what they discovered? None of the kids would would use the rest of the the playground. They all huddled toward the center. They were all playing together in the center. Nobody went to the edges anymore. And they came to realize that the reason for that is that this fence had provided a nice boundary that allowed freedom from within. They could run everywhere within that. But without that boundary, you couldn't, and that is what law does. Laws do. I think of traffic laws. I'm thankful for traffic laws as much as I talk about traffic laws and things. I'm thankful for them. I wouldn't drive without traffic laws. I'm thankful that there's a law that you don't go unless it's green, you know, or right on red or whatever. But. There are laws, there are rules, and, and we're all living under these rules. And so, if I see a green light, I I don't have to be too concerned that someone will come the other direction. Sometimes you do, but the laws are in place, and so that means that I can get my keys and fill up my car. And ah,、oh, where do I want to drive? Anywhere I want to drive, I'll go to California. Can't do that. I'm under the law of my wife. But you understand, with the rules in place, it gives a certain amount of freedom. Now the Spirit, he, he does this. John, one of Jesus' closest friends, put it this way in John 1:17. He said, "For the law was given through Moses, but grace, grace, and truth come through Jesus Christ." It's this entirely new system. Now, with all this in mind, let me read Romans 8:1 through 4 again, and then get to the application. We read, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus, the law we're under now, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Which, by the way, the Old Testament law was the, the law of sin and death because it indicted you as a sinner, and the wages of sin is death. So the Old Testament law was the law of sin and death. You've been freed from that. Verse three: What the law, the Old Testament law, could not do, since it was limited or weakened by the flesh, the flesh was so weak we sin more. God did it in a different way.、He、brought about godliness in a different way. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in flesh, like ours, under sin's domain, and as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's the point: Jesus Christ was the Son of God and God the Son, and He came into this world and took on flesh and blood like we have. That's what the passage is saying. And He did something no person had ever done before. He lived under the law, Old Testament law, and He fulfilled it 100. He fulfilled it. He didn't mess up in any. Single way he was—he was completely sinless. Why did this matter? Well, the passage says it so that he could become a, a an offering for us, a sacrifice for us. And, and so, what happened at the cross is that this or, or, kind of putting it all together. The law comes in. We're all indicted as sinners, so there's a lot of sin out there. 
Jesus comes in, he lives under the law sinlessly so that on the cross he could take upon himself all our sin and with it all the condemnation that went with it. That's why there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus because he took your sin and all the condemnation. He lived under the law. He fulfilled the law and satisfied even the very righteousness of God by dying for the sins of the world. In other words, the system of the law now was done. It served to point out our sin. It condemned us. But Jesus came in and took our condemnation. And so if we're in Christ, there's a new system. And Jesus had even said before he died and went up to heaven, he said, now I need need to return to my Father, he said, because unless I do that, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And so when we're forgiven, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Jesus died to, to nullify that law and introduce a new system of law whereby the Holy Spirit comes in and his law is a law of freedom. So in 2 Corinthians 3.17, we read now, again, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is free. We're free from various laws. Now, again, we're under law in a sense. It doesn't mean we live lawlessly, but it's a different system. Uh, An example that comes to my mind, if you lived in North Korea right now, you'd have no freedom, or at least that's my understanding. I mean, no freedom. You 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 can't even talk. I mean, you can say something, but if you say the wrong thing, you're in trouble. There are laws about everything. No freedom. Imagine yourself living there, and then imagine that you escaped and made your way to South Korea, or even to the United States, Two things would happen if you did that. Number one, the laws of North Korea wouldn't, wouldn't have any effect on you anymore. They could yell and scream all they wanted. You wouldn't have to listen. I'm not under your laws anymore. But second, you'd find yourself under these new laws. But how would you describe these new laws, especially if it were the United States? You'd be surprised all the time. You'd say, I can't believe I can do this. I can't believe I can do this. Now, I think this is what God wants to do in and through our lives. Now, let me mention this because I don't want to be misunderstood about the Old Testament law. The fact that we're not under the Old Testament law does not mean that none of the Old Testament laws apply to us anymore. Some of the Old Testament laws still apply to us. You say, well, how do you know which ones? Well, they're the ones that are repeated in the New Testament, but the difference is that the Old Testament laws that we're talking about here today are primarily the ceremonial laws. What you wear, you had to dress a certain way in Israel. What you eat, the festivals you went to, things like that sacrificial system, all of that was part of this ceremonial part of the law. But there was a moral side of the law as well. I'm convinced we're still under the moral side of the law. And what are examples of that? Well, like the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit murder. We all would agree these are laws we still have to abide by, and they're in the New Testament as well. So we still listen to these laws from the Old Testament. However, the moral ones, however, we're not under that system anymore where our our lives are about fulfilling the law. Suddenly there's a freedom we have to live for Jesus. Practically, what does this mean? to live this life that's pleasing to God, not lawlessly, but under this new laws written on our hearts. What does it mean? Well, it means that we as Christians need to get good at listening to God's Spirit who lives within us. 
Because God's Spirit speaks to us as we go through our days and our, our lives, you know. And you know what I'm talking about. If you're a Christian, you know that maybe you were thinking of sinning in some area, and suddenly you hear just this little still voice. It's not audible. But the Holy Spirit is spirit, and you have a spirit, and, and he communicates you, to you through your spirit. And so the, the Holy Spirit says, you shouldn't do that. And you have a decision at the point, why listen? Or the Holy Spirit might say, I want you to do this. Why don't you go to this person and ask for forgiveness? Why don't you help this person with their financial needs? And we just sense that God's Spirit is speaking to us. Now, I am of the opinion that it takes discernment to recognize the Spirit's voice, but when we do what we know He's asking us to do, that voice becomes more familiar to us. We begin to recognize it more. And we become people who are walking in step with the Spirit. And this is so important because the Holy Spirit is the one who gave us life when we believed. We were born anew. He gives us spiritual life, but now our responsibility if we're Christians is to follow his leading. And Paul said that in Galatians 5.25. He said, since we live by the Spirit, our very spiritual life is wrapped up in the Holy Spirit, then we must follow him. You know the children's game, follow the leader. That's what I'm suggesting that we do. Start listening when you know that it is his voice. This point, we're going to sing a song for you called Wide Awake. I like the words of the bridge of this song. It goes, wake up, you sleepers, walk in freedom. Feel it in your bones. Walk in freedom. Let him lead you home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've loved us so much as to put your Holy Spirit within us. It's a remarkable thing that in the Old Testament they, they met with you in the temple. But now we know we're the temple of God and you live within us and you're changing us from the inside out and that is so much better than fulfilling some laws that were written on tablets that now they're on our hearts. Give us a heart to listen. Help us to recognize your voice. Give us a willingness to do what you lead us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.